0: Here's here's what I want to do today. I want to tell you why we nag on so incessantly about small groups around here. And uh, so even as I tell you that, I I realize that uh, we're not all the same. We're different kinds of people. And uh, so let me kind of illustrate it this way. Um, If Pastor Steve got up after I was finished today and said, Hey, new plan from now on in 2013. Uh, Every weekend when you come to celebration, we want you to wear a blue hat. Then there are some of you who tomorrow morning, first thing, would be out buying a blue hat. And then there are some of you who would be probably later today out buying a green hat because you're not going to wear a blue hat just because somebody tells you to wear one. And then probably the majority of us are just going to want to know why. I mean, it's not that we're anti-blue hat people. We just would like to know what the deal is and why you want us to wear a blue hat, that kind of stuff. We'd want to know why. So, if you're one of those kind of people, this message is really for you. We want to talk about, or I want to explain to you, why it is that we are um, so big on small groups around here. If you haven't done so already, you can pull your message notes out. I'm going to deal with just three passages. They're on this sheet You can follow on here, there will be on the screens, or if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to take that and turn with me to those, so open your Bible or your app, if you have that, to uh, the first passage, Acts chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 42 to begin. This is, uh, if you know, uh, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, the book of Acts is about the early church. Jesus has died on the cross, He's been resurrected from the grave, Uh, He's ascended back to heaven, Uh, The church has been launched at Pentecost, and the book of Acts tells about that movement as the kingdom of God is advancing. Uh, We learn about the early church, and uh, this verse tells us something about the pattern of the early church. And so in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, it says this, That day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house, They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news, the gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah. That in the early church, their pattern was to be about two environments. They would gather in these large gatherings that would be in the temple courts. They would, uh, public area, they would all assemble there, big numbers of them, these large gatherings in rose more or less now they didn't have chairs to sit in they were standing by the way um you know the the big church uh technology advancement of the 14th century was the pew i don't know if you knew that or not but uh part of that they just stood the whole time so you know when someone gripes to me about you know i don't like all this technology i just want church the old way you know i say well just stand the whole darn time then you know (laughs) because that's what they did for the first 1,300 years. But uh, anyway, they would stand, they would gather in rows in these large gatherings in the temple courts, and they would also gather in these smaller, more intimate gatherings in their homes, where rather than rows, they would sit in circles. They would look each other eye to eye. Rather than all looking forward, they would look at each other. That was the pattern of the new testament church large gatherings and small gatherings rows and circles now that is in contrast to what maybe many of your church-going experiences has been or maybe what the typical american church-going experience is like because kind of the typical american uh, pattern is that it's all about being at church you know it's all about being in the building and usually what we mean by that is in these large kind of gatherings like a celebration service or a worship service where we would gather in rows everybody looking forward and kind of the typical American experience is you judge your spirituality all about being in church in rows in large gatherings now years ago really almost from the beginning new life decided that we were going to push the New Testament pattern rather than the American pattern about what church was going to be all about and I want to show you why that is so if you want to turn with me over to that second passage in the book of Matthew chapter 7 it goes back to a story that Jesus told again Brian mentioned that we're going to be in the book of Matthew in 2013 Well, this is from Jesus' famous, or most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which which is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is at the end of that, chapter 7. He tells this story. It's a parable that I'm sure you've probably heard, or most of us have heard. And so Jesus tells a very simple story, but has really profound truth. And so listen, follow with me. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Jesus says, "...therefore..." Everyone who hears, and you may want to circle that word, hears, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the storms rose up and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But... Everyone who hears, same thing, hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus tells a story about two men, two people, a wise person and a foolish person. And what they have in common is they both hear truth. But what is contrasted between the wise person and the foolish person is what they do with that truth. The wise person hears it and he puts it into practice. Whereas the foolish person hears it, but he doesn't put it into practice, and as a result, even though he heard, he experiences a crash. His house, his life, his system falls. It's decimated. So what Jesus is saying here is just this, that if you just hear truth, but you don't do anything with it even if you hear it and believe it even if you hear it and you feel convicted by it that if you just hear truth but don't do anything with it then you're like the foolish man when the storms of life come it's going to result in a crash Now there's a a whole bunch of us here today, right now, you're back in church or you came to Christ or you came back to Christ because somewhere along the way you experienced a crash. I mean some of you crashed a marriage. Some of us crashed our finances or some of us crashed morally. Some of us crashed a relationship or you've crashed with your kids. Or whatever, and and so now you're living with the consequences of that. And the whole reason you came to Christ, or came back to Christ, is that you don't want to crash again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But here's the deal. Jesus says in this story, everybody is going to face storms. See, we live in a fallen, broken world. And so hearing and doing is what will make the difference between crashing or not. Now what happens in this room, what happens about being in rows, is that it's all about hearing. But we want you to know that we aren't content with that Unless it gets translated into doing. Because doing is what makes the difference between crashing or not. Don't you see that in Jesus' parable right there? It's all about the doing of it. Now, you understand this. Because many of you have exercise equipment at home. Right? I mean, do you remember how good you felt when you bought that, right? And you brought it home and you felt so good when you put that treadmill together or that exercise bike together and now it's where you hang your clothes, right? In your room. Or you remember how good you felt when you joined that health club. But we know, don't we, that what makes the difference is the do in. that's Jesus point in this parable in fact James makes the same point that last passage if you want to turn over there that's what I, where I want to spend the rest of my time James chapter 1 it's on the back of your message notes or you can turn there with me James the, the brother of Jesus really the half brother of Jesus same mother, different fathers you, you know that right James the half brother of Jesus picks up on this exact theme that Jesus says here. And in James chapter 1, verse 22, here's what he says. He says, do not merely listen. Don't just hear. Don't stop at hearing. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You see, we all have this tendency to deceive ourselves. See, we come to church, to a celebration service, to a worship time, and we listen. And it's so easy to start thinking because we've heard and because we've felt something that progress was made spiritually. You know we come and we we listen and we we feel something move inside of us. We feel promptings of the Holy Spirit. We feel guilt. We feel in fact some of you the the more guilt you feel the closer you think you are to God. You know, you kind of hate coming to church because it's kind of like a love hate kind of thing. You love it but you hate it, you know that kind of deal. But we come to church and 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 we sing the songs, and and, and there's emotion, and we feel this movement, this conviction of the Holy Spirit going on inside of us. And if we're not careful, we can deceive ourselves into thinking, because that took place, that we made some sort of spiritual progress. I've had those conversations with people. You have too. You've had them with yourself. You know, to where you say to somebody, they'll say, oh man, I just felt so convicted by something that went on today. And you'll say, so, so what are you going to do about it? And they'll kind of look at you with like this deer in the headlights thing. Like, well, oh yeah, well, I hadn't really thought about that, you know, kind of thing. But see, the point is, progress doesn't come from hearing, it comes from the doing. But see, in those moments where we we feel something and we experience that inadequacy and those things, and, and we feel closer to God, and if we're not careful, we can confuse guilt and conviction with spiritual progress. But James says, don't be deceived. Don't let yourself do that. Listen to me, friends. Don't leave church thinking you've made progress just because you've heard something. Don't allow yourself to leave church thinking you've you've done something spiritually because you felt something. James says, no, do something. Do what it says. Let's keep going in James 1, verse 23. James says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. See, it, it's so easy we, we come to an environment like this, to a, to a weekend celebration, with all the technology that we have to help us hear with all the effort that's put in to helping us understand and hear God's word correctly. And we're challenged to maybe invest more in our children's lives or maybe to handle a relationship differently or Or to be more responsible in some decision of our life. Or or maybe to confess some area where we know we're walking in disobedience to God. or, Or to prioritize our marriage or whatever it is. But then to leave not changed. And James says that's just like looking in a mirror. And going, oh man you need some work. And then just getting dressed and going to work and not doing anything to correct the things you saw in that mirror. Now, now I know how long you stand in front of the mirror in the morning. I know. You stand there till it gets better. Right? <laughs> You stand there until you fix the things you see that need to be corrected. And James says to set under the teaching of God's word and to become aware of changes that need to, be, to take place, maybe in my heart or in a relationship or something that I need to address, someone I need to forgive, whatever it is, To see those things, to look at those things in the mirror, but then to not do something about that is as foolish as something that none of us would ever do. You see, in the real world, you don't get any credit for just looking in the mirror. I mean, try that for a few days. You know, look in the mirror... But don't do anything about it and you just get on dressed and you know go to work, you know. You know, you do that for a few days and, and pretty soon someone's gonna come up to you and they're gonna go, Everything okay? <laughs> <laughs> something going on at home that we maybe need to know about, or, see. Because you only get credit for doing something about what you see in the mirror. So why in the world is it that when we come to church, we think that we get credit for just being aware of what I need to change, for just feeling bad about something or feeling convicted about something? I mean, if someone comes up to you and they go, oh man, pray for me. I mean, I need to shower and I need to shave and I need to start wearing makeup. Would you pray for me? You know what you're going to say to that person? You're going to say, you don't need somebody to pray for you. You need to do something. You need to do those things. And that's exactly what James is saying. Now here's what I know about many of us. For many of us, your greatest regret isn't about something you didn't address on the outside. But rather it's about things that you became aware of. But refuse to deal with on the inside. Some heart issue. Some habit. Some attitude issue. Someone that you needed to forgive. You see those are the things. That wreck and ruin us. And let the storms of life take us down. And so you would Never. Allow yourself to leave home in the morning without doing something about what you see on the inside. So why do we allow ourselves to walk away from an environment like this and only be content with feeling bad about it, but not doing anything about the things that we become aware of? And so, friends, that is why we aren't content with your participation at new life being at just a hearing level. That's why. Listen, James goes on in verse 25. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and he continues in it not forgetting what they have heard but doing it they will be blessed in what they do to look intently into the perfect law of god now some of you ladies at home have an intently mirror you know what i'm talking about you know, you got one of those things that just magnifies everything. Some of you have lights on your intently mirror to just... I mean, why do we have those things? We look awful in those things. <laughs> we have those because we understand that we want to magnify the areas that need to be addressed. So that we can then do something to correct those. To address those and James says we need to look intently into this mirror and let it magnify the issues that need to be addressed in our lives so that we can then do something about those because you see it's doing that makes the difference between crashing or not. And James says that if we will do that with God's word, that it will bring freedom to us. Now, some of you are thinking, I, "I don't know that I really believe that." In fact, some of you, your opinion is maybe that you know, listening to God, you don't associate God's word and obedience to God's word with bringing freedom. In fact, some of you that are younger, you know, you pretty much got the whole message of the Bible right down here. Here's what it is. No. Can I do that? No. Should I do this? No. See? But here's what I want to tell you. As you get older, as you become more mature... As you have more life experiences, here's what you're going to realize. You're going to realize that it's obedience to this word that brings freedom. And it's disobedience to this book that brings bondage. See? That when you're younger, when you're less mature, when you have less life experiences you hear what this book says about financial responsibility and things like giving and we think oh that is so limiting that is so, that is body but, but as you get older so you have more life experiences as you mature you realize that not, not, it's just the opposite that obedience to those things brings freedom You know, you read what this book says about forgiveness and you think, forgive, I'm not going to forgive, it's all about payback for me, what that person did to me. But we all know people who are older and they held on to that hurt and they're not living in freedom, they're living in bondage to things that happened to them years ago. See, that it's freedom that comes from obedience to God and His Word. You read about God's sexual standards and you think, oh man, all my friends are doing it. And why can't I? And oh, this is so limiting. But as you get older, as you become more mature, as you have more life experiences, you realize that obedience to those things, they don't bring, that, that doesn't bring body, it brings the exact it brings freedom in your life. And James says that if we will look intently into this book. And we will do it. We'll experience freedom. And friends, this is what we want. We want you to be free. But what you need to understand, hear this really well, is that you will never be free just by listening to really good sermons. I don't care how clearly truth is presented. And that is why we are so anal about small groups around here. Getting us into environments, not only where we're in rows where we hear, but getting us into environments where we sit in circles. Where we see each other face to face. Where we look each other in the eye. Where we talk about, how how, how does this work out in your relationships? Not, Not just relationships in general. Not just phantom, pretend relationships. But in your marriage, in your family, in your network of friends. How does this work out with you and me and where we don't talk just about attitudes in general, but we talk about your attitudes, your issues, your habits, your for people that you need to forgive. Because here's what I know. I know that application is exponentially more likely to happen in true gospel community in places where you sit in circles and look each other in the eye and you ask each other the real questions about the real things by people who really know you and so that is why we really 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 think you should be in a small group Now. Let me give you some logistics about that. If you're thinking, okay, you've convinced me. I'm going to buy a blue hat. Let me tell you how. (laughs) I'll give you several options. Um, We have 70-some different small groups. They're all different because there's different people in them. Groups take on the personalities of the people that are in them. And so any one of you are free. You can go out to the wall. There's a bunch of cards out there. You can go online. You can see the groups that are out there. And you can just be your own guide but here would be my suggestion for you let me help you Um, the vehicle the tool that we've used with the greatest success around here as brian mentioned a little earlier is a thing called getting connected and what we do when we do a getting connected is just this whoever shows up we just do a small group sometimes that uh Sometimes there's three or four, sometimes there's 14 or 15. It's just like a regular small group, you know, different numbers, different sizes. It works, doesn't matter. We meet back here in the prayer chapel. Usually I'm the one that, that leads it. And what it lets you do is it lets you see exactly what a new life small group looks like. We just lead it like a small group. But the other thing that happens there is it lets me learn enough about you to kind of help point you towards a group that would probably be a good fit for you. Now, we don't assign people to group. You can go anywhere you want. But usually, most of us benefit from having a little help based upon learning enough about you. And what we found is that in that hour and a half or so, I usually can pick up enough about people's personality traits to usually steer them, for the most part, in a good direction. Maybe this group or here's a couple groups you might try or that kind of thing. And so, if you're interested, if you're if you're interested in, in, in joining one of our currently existing small groups, uh, if you can ask somebody. Maybe you know somebody that's in a group. And you say, hey, can we come to your group or that? If, or you can come to Getting Connected. We're doing one next Sunday in the morning. Just 11 o'clock. You don't have to sign up. All you have to do is show up. I'd encourage you to go to the celebration at 9 or go Saturday night. And then join me back in the prayer chapel, this room back over here in this corner at 11 o'clock. Uh, Usually we do Getting Connected on a Wednesday evening. Usually we do it the Wednesday right after a Discover New Life. That's the majority of time. And so in January, there's also one on January 23rd, which is a couple weeks later, that Wednesday night. So if you can't make next Sunday, come Wednesday night, January 23rd. If you can't make that one, we'll do some in February, that kind of stuff. Come to Getting Connected. We'd love to help you get connected. Nobody pressures you. It's not like if you show up, you're trapped or tricked or anything like that. You get to see what a group's like and then you get my help, okay? I'd be glad to help you with that. Or maybe there's some of you that what would be a better fit for you is to start your own group. We would love for you to start your own group. You know you know some other people here who aren't in a small group and you'd say to them, hey, why don't we form a small group? Let's form our own small group. You know, we don't wanna be with people we don't know. We, we like you, you know, let's, let's form groups. So gather some friends around. You're going to need uh, somebody's home to meet in. It doesn't necessarily have to be the same home all the time. A lot of our groups rotate homes. Uh, You can do that, but you obviously have to have somebody's home to start with. So maybe one of you would say, yeah, maybe this first month we could meet in our home, that kind of stuff. Somebody needs to be responsible for leading the group, so somebody needs to do that. But you can start your own group, and I would be thrilled to help you. In fact, we have all sorts of tools to help you. We have training, we have online training, we have all sorts of tools that will help you. You just need to come talk to me. Now, it is important that you come talk to me because, you know, there are a few safeguards to put in place. We don't want new life groups that are studying the Book of Mormon and that kind of stuff. You get that, right? (laughs) But if you'll kind of gather some friends together and come talk to me, we'd be thrilled for you to start your own group. You can do that kind of thing. Or maybe some of you, maybe this is a good option for you. For some of you, you're going to have to kind of think about this and talk about this, pray about this maybe and whatever. And maybe you need a little bit of time. Well, uh, in February, in fact, beginning in early February, we're going to do a 40-day spiritual adventure here. 40 days is roughly six and a half weeks. And uh, during that spiritual adventure those 40 days we're going to encourage everybody at new life to get in a small group we've done this before and uh, you can join an existing group or you can form your own group in fact we will form a lot of team a lot of groups just for those six weeks and some of those groups will decide to continue beyond the six weeks and some of them will decide this was nice but see you later six weeks of you was enough that's fine you know I mean really there's no bait and switch going on here but maybe what you'll want to do is when we do that you'll want to form a part of a group during that or you'll want to get involved during that and so forth our theme is love works the whole emphasis is how you know, as we have experienced Christ's love, that should show itself in, lo- in works of love to those around us. And we're going to have some specific things during that where we're going to encourage each group to figure out a plan for how they're going to reach out and love those around them. You will benefit by being in a small group. Maybe for you, you need to just decide that between now and then you're going to make up your mind for at least those six weeks you're going to get in a group. That's another option for you. So three different options for you there. You can come talk to me. I'd love to help you. Nothing uh, is more exciting to me than to help somebody find a group. And you don't have to, listen, let me just tell you about me. If you don't know me, I'm never going to trick you. I'm not going to trap you. You don't have to be afraid that if you talk to me, you're stuck for the rest of your life. It's not that kind of deal, okay? Um, If you really, really, really don't want to be in a group, I I have no desire to make you, okay? So really, come talk to me. I'd be thrilled to help you. But again, hear, hear me hear my heart what makes the difference isn't hearing it's doing and i know that the that the chances of doing in your life go up exponentially so when you're in true gospel community where you set in circles not just in environments like this where you set in rows and only here now let me say something else let me let me let me talk to those of you who think you're in a small group because your name is on somebody's list? Okay? Let me explain it this way. I, this is common sense, but hear me out. For years, we belonged to the YMCA, and I only went to vote. Okay? <laughs> you get how much benefit I got out of that, right? Listen. If your name is just if, if your name is just on a list and you I mean it's not that you don't want to go to group but you know you go to group when everything else in your life aligns perfectly you know what it'll never work like that groups work the fuel that groups work on is is really trust and for you to have the trust that you need in a group where you're speaking into each other's life where you have the empowerment to do that The same people need to be there consistently week in, week out. And so for you to get the benefit from belonging to the Y, you've got to commit to going to the Y. And for you to get the benefit out of being in a group, you need to make the commitment to really going to the group. So let me challenge you that way too. Okay, one more thing. Still with me? Let me talk to those of you who are parents. Because there's some of you who are parents and here's what the decision you've made somewhere along the way you've decided that it's not that you don't believe in groups you think they're great you just have decided because of what's going on with your kids and all that you just don't have time to be in a group and i get that uh, single parents i hear this a lot from single parents and i get that you know you're working your kids are everywhere under the sun and taking them, and, and I, believe me, I, I get all, I know, I mean, I've never been a single parent, but I've been a parent of smaller children, and I get all of that, and even, even as they get older and taking them places, and I get the busy. But hear me out for just a couple more minutes. Let me, let me just challenge you with something. I, I'd like you to imagine with me for a minute about your home growing up and maybe how different your home might have been if you would have had parents who made the commitment to being a part of a group of adults who were serious about doing the stuff in the Bible. Not just hearing it, but doing it of being true gospel community where they had that right to speak into each other's life at that level. You know, for a lot of you, that would have radically changed what your home was like growing up. I mean, for some of you, it would have meant the difference between just a whole lot of less hypocrisy. You know, some of you grew up in homes that was very religious, very church-going, very... God-fearing, but what happened in church and what things were like at home was totally different. And if your parents had been a part of a group like that, then there would have been a lot less hypocrisy there. It would have radically changed what your home was like. For some of you, you grew up in families where you could cut the dysfunction in your home with a, with a knife. And if you would have had parents who were a part of Of community at that level, I mean, there would have been a lot less secrets in your home. It would have radically changed what your home was like growing up. For some of you, it would have been the difference between a father who left and a father who stayed. Maybe if your dad had been a part of a group with a group of guys who would have really known him at that level, who would have been. Had the permission of him at that level, who would have looked him in the eye and said, "What the heck are you thinking?" It'd have radically changed your home. For some of you, it'd have been a lot less addiction in your home. If you'd have had your mom been in community with a group of women who would have felt empowered to speak truth into her life at that level about what she was turning to in the wrong ways, it would have radically changed your home. So I'm not trying to put you on any kind of guilt trip. Don't, Don't hear any of that. All I'm saying is this, is before you immediately just play the card, hey, I'm just too busy, man, really let the Holy Spirit speak to you about this whole thing. Because we don't want you to be satisfied with just Walking with God at a hearing-only level. Because what makes the difference, Jesus said, what makes the difference, James echoes, is doing what we hear. Well, let's pray together. Would you pray with me?